this is the new project right here. You're gonna purchase this beat and do something with it. This is nice. Yes. So them tell me uh, How are them? How are they? How are them and them are going with? Yeah. How are they? How are they? How are them and them are going with? Lord of mercy Rhythm sweet Oh it got blows beat Yeah man Y'all thought y'all were good, man. Come on, man. We're always in here. Always in here. Shout out to YouTube. Want to take me off the platform. They say that I'm speaking too much truth up in here. But you know what? It's okay. It's God's word. The Bible says they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ. But the bottom line is we're not going to cut out the truth because it doesn't fit the narrative. We're going to keep on going forward. So YouTube, we love you. We thank you. But we ain't going to stop. We're going to keep on going. Uh, there's plenty of platforms out there. So this is the Real Life Podcast, man. I'm here with a special guest, Pastor Ernie Toppin. Mm. This is a, this is somewhat of an exclusive for me. I remember at one point, you came through for us in 2019. We were still fairly fresh to the fellowship. Me and my wife, we had just found, uh, we had just found the church in Killeen. And, um, you know, it was literally God that, that brought us there. Uh, and, uh, you were, you were, you came through in 2019 and you sung for us and, uh, you ministered the word there. And, uh, I can't lie, man. The first time I heard you, man, I actually came back to my house inspired to write a song to, uh, to that song that you have. His name is boss. Right. So his name is boss inspired me so much, man. I had to come home and really just start stomping just for fun. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the the neighbor's demons. They weren't even bothering me. I'm like, you over there, come here in Jesus' name. I just started pounding away, right? Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have did that because, you know. But nonetheless, yeah, man, so you've, you've, you've been an inspiration to me musically. But oh, uh, I'm, pr- I'm glad about that. That's good. So the, you say that... Um, <laughs> You say that you're from the hood, right? You're from the ghettos of, uh, I, I wasn't aware that they even had ghettos. Uh, where are you from? I'm from South East London, a place called Greenwich. Um, it's not really, at the time, you don't realize it's a ghetto. Right. You just, you're in it, you know? You're just living it, right? Yeah, and as only as I grew older and I got exposed to different types of people, that's when I realized, man, you live in the hood. Yeah. And and when I see it now, I realize, yeah, that this is the hood. <laughs> But at the time, you don't, you know, you know, stuff happens, and you, you just put it down to just folks, you know, be acting up. But it was, you know, some people got set on fire <laughs> right. around there. People right. got shot, you know. Even even though there's no guns, you know, in England, people would get shot around there. So you you, know? you mean literally set on fire? Yeah. Okay, I thought you were like talking Holy Ghost stuff. Now, no, the people were actually getting lit on fire. Somebody put petrol <clears throat> on somebody outside the flats Whoa. and burned them up. Yeah. Dang. Stuff like that used to. It's weird because you think of Greenwich and you think of, um, you know, quite, it's quite a posh. It's quite an upmarket area part of it. Right. It's split in two. The, there's a posh side and then there's the projects. Mm-hmm. And so, and the projects 
side of it. It's not just um, like in America, you'd have the projects and it would just be black people or it'd just be Hispanics. But in England, the projects is anyone who's poor. Mm. See, what splits people in England is finances. If you got money, <coughs> no matter who you are, you can live in a rich area. You can you can you can be an MP. You can run for office. But if you're poor, you ain't getting out of. You ain't. You are not getting out. <laughs> Do wow. you know what I mean? You're stuck. Yeah. 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 So everyone's <coughs> trying. That's why everybody's trying to hustle and make money and get out. Nobody wants to be like that. So, growing up in the ghetto there, <clears throat> so there's a lot of people that, that know your story somewhat, and there's a lot of people that somewhat don't. So, you uh, are from the ghetto, but you certainly struck an interest in music. Um, you sing very well. So, from what I understand, you were already progressing in the music industry to the point where you were already being... Uh, were you already on MTV or were you getting there? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it started off, I was a young man in South London. <coughs> I met this girl in school. She really impressed me. I liked her. So I wrote a song for her. You know, I started to sing and record it and give her the tape and say, hey, this is for you. You know, she ended up be, becoming my girlfriend for like two, three years. Wow. But, but that was the start of me singing. But at the same time, I had a parallel lifestyle as a hustler, like I was in a gang, uh, and the gang I was in was um, basically it was a, it was a it was a sound system. I don't know if you know what that is. A sound system is a group of young men who they have a mobile discotheque, and they take it into people's houses, into clubs, and they're known for having certain singers who sing only for their discotheque, you know, and wow. certain rappers. That's how rap music in the UK really blew up because there were sound systems where you had a guy who he was only ever on Saxon sound. You know, our sound was called Cyrus. There was a sound called Saxon, and Saxon was uh, the the best sound in South London. Then it went on to be the best sound in London, and then the best sound in England, and it, it's now the best sound in the world. Whoa! But they started off like five miles from where I live. That's who, that's where Saxon started. And so we, we emulated Saxon stump somewhat, you know, we wanted to be like them. Right. And so we, you know, we wrote music, but at the same time, we was a criminal organization, you know what I'm saying? That, that's that's crazy. Criminals. <clears throat> because it, you say sound system and these people are like, they got music set up and stuff like that, and that's a gang. Yeah, it's a gang. That is, that is, I've never heard of that, man. Yeah, there's, that's how gangs were back in the sort of eight, early 80s, I'm talking. You know, you had um, in Jamaica. You got you got sound systems called. Uh, um, there's a sound system in Jamaica uh, called Stone Love. I don't know if they're still around, but at the time they was the they was one of the biggest sounds in Jamaica. Stone Love, Nasty Love. Then you had Saxon from the UK, and you had uh, Jemmy Magic from the UK. Uh, and but we 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 were small fry compared to these guys, but we were ambitious we wanted to get better and of course me learning to sing became like an ace card like that sound has that guy you know and that my nickname was duchy as the dutch pot which is the jamaican food pot it's black it's really dark and so i was the darkest one in the in the crew so they called me duchy duchy basically duchy like butch <coughs> but dutch so um you know we 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 was exclusively you know duchy only sings on cyrus so if you want to hear Dutchy sing, you have to go to Cyrus. So I was started doing these little, they call them sing jays. Right. Uh, there's a there's a song that I do in our fellowship called Crack, mm -hmm. but it started off as being called Skag, 
Skag. Yeah, what Skag is, is uh, What does that mean? Skag means heroin. Heroin, okay. Because in South London, early 80s, heroin was... Bad. Yeah, really. Everybody was taking heroin, so... Yeah, so we, we progressed from being a local sound system to getting a bit more exposure. Uh, but, but the problem is, some of the stuff we was involved in started to get really dark, and I started to realise if I stay with these people... I'm going to either end up in jail or dead because they were crazy. I mean, I was crazy. We were crazy. Right. But um, the problem is I started to meet, I met a girl called Karen and she she impressed me and I kind of got the bug, like I need to settle down with this chick and get away from these guys. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> these guys are going to jail and I'm, I don't want to go to jail. I want to settle down with this girl. So I kind of um, moved away from them. The day I met Karen... The same day, all of these guys got arrested. Wow. Yeah, so it was like an omen, you know, to me. Like, you know, the day you meet this chick, all these guys get arrested, and they get arrested for smoking weed in public. That's how lawless we were, you know. We'd we'd do stuff like that. We'd just challenge the police. And um, eventually, I I moved away from them guys, and um, they they got angry. (laughs) They were like, you know, what are you doing with with this chick? You know, you're supposed to be playing a gig tonight, man. What's going on? I was like, man, guys, I'm getting away from this. And I ended up um, trying to meet different people. And I I ended up realising that, you know what, I I, I need to get away from the ghetto mindset. And this is when I realised that there's a a world outside of SE7. Because that's the postcode, you know. Mm -hmm. There's a big world out there. So I started meeting people. And I started trying to get into the music business with my voice. And so I met a guy called Kevin O'Dowd, who was George O'Dowd's brother, who's boy George, the singer. I don't know if you heard of him back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then me and this guy, Kevin O'Dowd, we met this, well, me and P- this guy called Peter Sims were friends of Kevin O'Dowd. We formed a band. The band was called Hey Mama. I was a backing singer. Probably Kevin O'Dowd doesn't even remember me. He's probably high on drugs at the time, you know. Everybody was high on drugs. So um, we did this, we did this band. We played this gig at the Hippodrome in London, and uh, in that audience of that gig was a guy called Harry Ormisher, who was a famous photographer and a racehorse owner. He's kind of rich, and he heard me sing, and he said, "Man, you know what? I'm going to put you in touch with some people who, you know, really know what they're doing." And so I got in touch with a record producer called Kent Brainerd, who was a very brilliant. You know, record producer. He he did work for Madonna. Wow. Okay. Michael Jackson. I mean, he was that. He was a remixer. Right. He remixed Michael Jackson. I mean, this guy. He owned. He was a multimillionaire. He owned a studio in London. He owned one in. He owned a house in Chicago. A house in France. He owned a stately home in Lincolnshire. I mean, the guy lived like a lord. He was a very cool guy, and he's very intelligent. And he became my manager. So we did a couple tracks, and we did a, a track called "She's Got Soul." And that's that started to blow up. And now this is like 1990, mm-hmm. 91. And this song's blowing <laughs> up. And I'm 25 years old, 26 years old. And, um, you know, I'm going to nightclubs. And, uh, you know, I'm going to the Limelight nightclub, which is an exclusive nightclub in London. This is where Michael Jackson and them guys party when they come to London. Um, I'm, I'm getting into the VIP room in these clubs, you know. And... Uh, but th- at the same time, you know, I've, I've moved a long way from SE7. Now I'm in central London hanging out. But there's there's an emptiness in in my heart, you know, because um, I knew people who 
they were they were very immoral people and and their their spirit I found repugnant <laughs> you know even as a sinner I was like man you guys you know you guys stink you, you guys are nasty man yeah man you guys are disgusting man you people got no morals <clears throat> and so you know when the bible says that lot vexed his soul with the things which the wicked did yep. even though I wasn't saved there was something that was deposited in me from my great grandfather because he was a preacher. Wow, okay. He was a missionary. So I didn't really know God, <clears throat> but I, I knew something. Like when people would say, oh, for Christ's sake, I'd be, say, I'd be like, no, but don't say that, man. Right. Right. That's wrong. And they'd be like, what do you mean it's wrong? For Christ's sake. I'd be like, man, bro. Right. <laughs> don't cross that line, man. Right. Right. This is God we're talking about. And, and I had a fear of God, you know right. what I'm saying? Even though right. I was smoking weed and right. so. Yeah, around this period, I began to search and ask God questions like, are you there, you know? Right. And that's when <clears throat> one day I asked that question, and the next day, it's funny, because I, I was in a recording studio with a bunch of people, right. smoking weed, stoned out of my head, writing music, and I suddenly looked at everyone in the room, and they all looked like crazy fools. Right. And I thought, man, you're just as bad as them, you know? Well, look at us, we're going to hell. And I went off into the restroom, and I said, God, if you're real... I want. I actually want to meet you, right? Yeah. And little did I know, at the same time, there's a pastor in London praying for singers to get saved. <laughs> and he later told me this. He said, "I was praying for you. I didn't know you. I didn't know who you was, but I said, God, give me the best singers." <laughs> right. I mean, so this is weird. And so the next day, I meet a girl. She starts telling me, "You know, where would you go if you die?" And I knew this girl from school. Right. And I'm. When, when I met her, I was stoned, <coughs> and I was with two other guys, and they were stoned. Mm -hmm. And this girl starts speaking to us. She says, where would you go if you die? So I say, you know, I, I think I would go to heaven. But as soon as I said that, I knew I, I knew I was lying to myself. So the guys who were with me, they started saying, you know, hey, man, this is some white man religion, because they were black, and they, you know, they were racist. Do you know what I mean? Against right. white people. I wasn't. I never was like that. I was always like, man, this guy's cool, don't matter what colour he is. But these guys were proper racist. Right, right, <laughs> yes, yeah. They did not like white people, you know. So they were like saying, man. And I was going, stop being so ignorant. Open your horizons. Right, right. What's wrong with you people? And they, Anyway, they shut up and then the girl said, if you died now, you'd go to hell. And they were offended. <laughs> And they was like walking away and I was like, no, no, listen, listen to the girl. And I let her speak and she said, basically, you must be born again. You know, and that became the basis of a song I wrote called You Must Be Born Again, because that's what I heard. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this this girl, she walked away and for six months, I could not forget what she had said to me and it was bugging me and I knew that it was true. So six months later, I'm... Um, uh, taking a phone call in my house from Kent Brainerd, the millionaire record producer, manager, and me and him are arguing because he's saying to me, we can give you, I think he said something like, we can give you seven grand's worth of studio time to, we can get seven grand's worth of studio time from the record company to do to do a production. It's a long story, but it's a thing called a production deal. Mm -hmm. And they was offering me seven grand. I said, look, man, I need, I need at least 20 grand to do this. Because we're going to have violin players and, you know, I'm, I've got this vision how I want this thing to be. And he's going, no, you only got seven grand's worth. Anyway, I put the phone down. I'm angry. I put, 
I said, look, man, that's it. We ain't talking no more. Put the phone down. And then the next phone call, I thought it was him again. So I picked up the phone. I'm angry. I'm like, Who's this? And it's this girl called Betty, this, this friend of the first girl I spoke to. And she says, man, you need to come to my house. And I'm like, why? She goes, look, just get over here right now. So I'm thinking, man, this is South London she lives in. So I'm thinking, is this, is this beef? I mean, what is this? Right. So I grab some people, you know, right. people bigger than me, you know. <laughs> we, so we go over there, and um, I'm, I'm like, what's up, you know? And she, she's not saying anything. I'm saying, Betty, what is wrong? She goes, nothing. Just sit out. And I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, has she got cancer? And then she says, you got to get saved. And I'm like, you, you told me to come over here to tell me that. And I'm, I'm kind of angry, but at the same time, I'm intrigued. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, uh, yeah, six months ago, someone else said that to me. And uh, hmm. so she says, you know, you've got to, be, you've got to give your life to, to Christ. And then she said these words, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And when she said that, I knew that was God talking to me. You know? Right. you know, we must never underestimate the power of scripture to get hold of people's hearts. Because when people talk their own words, that's one dimension. But when you start quoting scripture to people, man, mm. it's like a lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, I knew it was God. And I said, okay, what do I have to do? <laughs> yeah. And she said, um, you need to ask God to forgive you. So I said, okay, um, what, right now? She said, yeah. So we just prayed right there. And then I went home and I built the biggest joint I could build, you know, a huge joint to celebrate my salvation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is a wonderful moment. Glory to God, I got saved. And then as I'm smoking the joint, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't, this is bondage. I don't want to smoke this anymore. And I said to God, if you can do anything then I'm sure you can take away the desire for this joint I, and I said God take away the desire make it taste disgusting and the next drag of the joint it tasted disgusting that was the last time I smoked Wow! and then I went church and you know the rest is history the rest is history <laughs> <clears throat> you said something real key that caught my attention hmm. as uh as I got saved you know, I was on my way back to prison when I got saved. Um, uh, I was uh, looking at a 25-year-to-life sentence. That was my third plea of anybody anybody who knows about court. They give you one plea bargain, second plea bargain, third plea bargain. That's it. There's no more coming from there. So 25 years of life was my third, right? And uh, my life's over, man. I know it. You know what I mean? So um, God spoke to me in the cell, basically let just... Hand it over to me. Sorry. I started going off on God because I had a horrible childhood, man. Like horrible, like bad. And, uh, you know, I'm similar. I'm from the streets. You know, I know about the gangs and I know about the dope and selling it. Hustling. All that. All, I know all Hustling. that. Hustling. Yeah. I know all that stuff. <laughs> I'm saying. Go make it work. Going from city to city, you know, yeah. trafficking, you know. So um, he spoke to me, man, and. Push comes to shove, I give him the impossible task, right? Third plea, 25 years of life. I said, man, give me 15 years, not a, I'll serve you forever. And my, I'm being sarcastic and very, like, spiteful, like, scoffing, like, yeah, because I knew it was impossible. My third plea, I've, I've been in my court system my whole life. I knew this wasn't going to happen. If 
Five minutes later, I get a phone call. My my cousin Debo, that's his name, Debo. He's big, big old burly Mexican dude working in the jail. Comes to my cell and he's like, "Hey man, come get this phone. That's your lawyer." Like, man, I ain't going nowhere, man. Tell that mother, blah, 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 bleep, bleep, man, man, get on somewhere. And he's like, I'm going to open this door. You're going to get it. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out of there myself. I said, I'm going to go answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Big dude. So I go out there, <clears throat> answer the phone. I'm like, man, what in the F do you want, dude? Like, what do you want? Hmm. He's like, I'm, I'm going to send a van over there to come get you. You're going to come sign this paperwork. I'm like, man, I ain't signing nothing. What are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. Ten years non-ag. Pick me up right now. So they come pick me up. I go sign the paperwork. I gave God 15. I told him that's the number I want. He gave me 10. Whoa. This is impossible. Third plea, I don't have a clue what's going on. All I know is that my life is not over all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I'm not dying in prison now. Mm-hmm. Come back. I realize it's him. I collapse, man, in the cell, you know, surrender my life. I'm like, look, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. I don't know even why you did this for me. You've hated me my whole life. Now all of a sudden you helped me and I just want to know why. You really felt that? I felt like God God hated hated me. I felt like God hated me because whenever, you know, my dad was beating me. I said this in my testimony in in church. Whenever I was getting beat down, uh, I would call on Jesus. Mm. And he never came to save me like everybody said he would. But I didn't understand what they were saying. (laughs) But they were actually talking about salvation, right? Yeah. so I grew up with this mindset, God hates me like my dad does. Whoa. You know what I'm saying? He has to because he doesn't come help me. You know what I'm saying? And, and, I'm, and I'm always getting hurt, man. It just never – and I'm always going to jail. I'm, I, I don't know what life is all about. I'm always confused. So in order to combat that, I just put on this anger. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just going to beat everybody up. And if I get beat up, I get beat up. But I'm going to let you know that uh, you got a problem when you meet me. You know, that kind of thing. How old was you at this point in the plea, the plea bargain? Uh, right then, I was about 22 years old. I was about to turn 23. I did 10 years straight on this sentence. He, they, he, he gave me a 10-year non-ag, right, uh, from a 25-year to life, but I did every last bit of it, and uh, I know why. Um, I lived a life dedicated to violence, drugs, just straight demonic, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. So it was going to take every bit of that 10 years in that, in that place to transform my mind. Otherwise, anything earlier than that, I would have gone back into the system. So he was working on me in there, man, from one attitude and behavior from another. I didn't realize how screwed up I truly was. Until how old are you, though? Because you're not that old now. Um, I'm 39 years old now. Uh, what's the, 39. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, 39. So prison preserves you well, I guess. But... <laughs> So it, you're literally in the can, man, literally. So, uh, yeah, man. So he started working on me in there, man, and uh, I got out, and, uh, you know, I backslid for a little while. I lost my grandmother, I lost my mother, and I lost my uncle, three of the biggest people in my life that actually cared, cared. I lost them all in a year and a half. I wasn't in church yet, so I was. I had just met my wife, just married my wife, and I backslid. So I drug her in the dirt for like six months, man, backslidden. Uh, but God, God knew, man. So I was like, man, I came to the conclusion. I finally hit and I'm like, dude, if I don't stop now, I'm going to lose everything. Yeah. I'm going to lose it all. 10 years with God. It's going to be gone like that. I can't do this. I'm like, God, you need to speak to me. Speak to me now. And he told me, go to clean. So I'm like, what? 
the world is Colleen at? I'm getting my phone Googling. Where is this at? Colleen? Who's in Colleen? What is in Colleen? What's Colleen? I don't care. Told my wife, pack it up. We're leaving. We're going to Colleen. She's like, are you sure you heard from God? I'm like, I'm positive. And she's just on board. Oh, well, let's go. Because I'm backslidden. She just wants to see me back on point. Yeah. We get here. Uh, my wife has a dream. Push comes to shove. We interpret it. Potter's house is in a, a, a it. A dream. A dream. Can you describe, just for the listeners, just describe the dream. So in the dream, my wife, my wife is the one who actually had the dream, right? So she has it written down. And I'm kind of paraphrasing because she knows more about it than me. I just interpreted the dream because that's just one of the things that God gave me and that I'm skillful at. So in the dream, we're going to a place. And in this place, there's broken stuff everywhere, right? But it's being picked back up. This person is picking this stuff back up, right? And he's putting it in water and it's diluting. And then you're putting it back together or whatever the case. So Like clay. And yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I'm like. Well, that's easy, man. That's that's a that's a that's a potter's house. We're going into a potter's house. There's a scripture for that. We're looking at the scripture, and I look at my wife, and I'm like, mm-hmm. "We were just praying it for a church, right? <clears throat> Is there a potter's house? Uh, some kind of name, potter? So we look it up, potter's Whoa. house. And I'm looking at I'm looking at pastor right on the, on on my thing right here, and I'm like, I don't know, man. That dude look kind of friendly. Kind of what? That. Friendly. Friendly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I'm like, man, I don't know. We'll see. So prior to this, God said, man, whenever you walk into a church and you see flags everywhere, you're home. Right? He told me this like six months prior. <clears throat> so I'm like, okay. So we walk in there. First thing I see, there's flags all over the place. So I'm like, no way, dude. Yeah. I'm like, I look at my wife. My wife looks at me and I'm like, I think we're home, man. Mm-hmm. So we go in, we sit down. Pastor Rosario's preaching up there. And I'm like. He's a little clean cut. I don't know, man. Uh, I want some rugged dudes, man. Everybody in here is in a tie and looking all friendly. And I don't know if I can serve <laughs> God with people like this. This is not my style in here. I just don't do this because I didn't. But uh, Mario Villarreal, Pastor Mario Villarreal. Good and, man. Good people. And his I was wife, with him last night. Yeah. He's awesome. He, he took me in, man. He took me in. Him and his wife took us in and... Uh, because of them, we're here still. Hallelujah. And, um, I mean, they were just amazing, man. And they've came a long way themselves, and now they're pastoring. But, yeah, yeah man, that's how we came to the Potter's House. We're still here. But it's a, you said something key that got my attention, man. You said, uh, you know, your little area code. <laughs> a lot of people don't quite understand that. Like, <laughs> SE7. You know what I'm that saying? That means Southeast 7. That's Southeast London, seventh sector. That's, that's your little sector, right? That's your little really, hood, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy to me how we can get, we can be so motivated to, or so uh, loyal uh, to a little section of land, to the point where we miss out on everything else that's yeah, out that's there. Right. That's but true. we we are so consumed. SC seven baby. Yeah, you know we're we're like we're putting it on like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's us you know what i mean cuz that's that's all the identity you got cuz yes. cuz you don't have a family identity your dad's not around you're just mm-hmm. running with a bunch of young kids and you're all from SE7 and so that becomes your identity you get it tattooed on you you got t-shirts mm-hmm. you, you know you wear a certain way cuz we had a way of dressing you know we had certain cars that we would drive oh that's them them guys at SE7 right cuz they're driving Alfa Romeos and Fiat's Right. You know, the Italian cars. Right. Then, you know, it's, it's like an identity. You're struggling for identity. Yes. You have to have some kind of identity. And the, the one thing, sadly, what linked us all together was, was what I just mentioned. 
we we were fatherless. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what linked us, you know. But when I got saved, something miracle happened. I want to share it with you. Man. Yes, Because cool. what happened was, um, you know, being fatherless, you're, oh, you overcompensate, you know, by being, you know, overly loud or overly violent or overly the life and soul of the party or you're the... You know, you overcompensate because you're just hiding the hurt all the time, you know, the pain, right? So what happened when I got saved? You know, because I've been in children's home. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I ain't really mentioned, you know. My dad wasn't around. But my let me just say this, in case my dad's listening. He was my hero. I loved my dad. It was It's not the usual story. You know, like, usually it's like, I hate my dad. But I loved my... My dad was a fantastic person. He was like a million-dollar person. Wow. Like he was a, his smile, he was charisma, he was cool. Everybody wanted to be around my, my dad was always surrounded with people. Wow. And so like I loved him, you know, but I just couldn't, you know, he was just too he was too cool for school. <laughs> you know, he was too cool for his own kids, you know what I mean? Right. So he, he ended up but um so you know, when I got saved, the miracle was God really dealt with me to appropriate him as a father. Huge. Like he dealt with me. He said, look, I'm your dad. I know you love your dad and I know your your dad's never there and you love him and you want to be with him all the time, but he's not going to be with you. He's, he's too selfish. You know, my dad, yeah. father, my father in heaven told me about what my dad was really like. Right. He said, he's too selfish to spend time with you. Mm-hmm. So just appropriate me, grab hold of me, right. get hold of me. I'm your father now. And then he showed me Jeremiah, one verse four, I think, or five. Well, let me see if I can find it, man. Let me really find this. You know, verify this right now. All right. I love the way this microphone makes my voice sound. You know, everything is everything. And sometimes everything is not everything. Just finding the scripture. Is not everything. You turn. And in the times the when those things are not everything, those things are nothing. <laughs> anyway, so here we go. Right? So, Jeremiah 1 5. Jeremiah 1 4. The word of the Lord came to me, Ernie Topping, saying, Before I formed you, Ernie Topping, <clears throat> I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so when I read that, God was trying to emphasize to me, I'm your father. I know you better than anyone else. And I've got a plan for you. So stop fixating on your father and stop being hurt by the fact that. You didn't know him and, and start to realize that I actually separated you from him for my purposes. And I would say to anyone listening to this, if you've been rejected or you've experienced rejection, I know it sounds weird what I'm about to say, but you need to rejoice because if you didn't experience rejection, there's no way you would have been open to the idea of a father in heaven loving you. If you had a father on earth who doted on you and gave you everything you wanted and he was a great father, you wouldn't even think about your father in heaven many times. And so the plan of God, I preached this last night, my sermon again from last night. The plan of God many times is that people will be separated from their earthly fathers so that they can have a relationship with their father in heaven. David, you know, the Bible says he was a, a kid who, the last kid that his father called when Samuel the prophet came to anoint the next king of Israel. He didn't even think of David. Uh, Moses, he separated from his parents. Joseph, separated from his father, mother, brothers. Esther, no mention of Esther's parents. In fact, the only mention is that they they died and she was raised by her uncle Mordecai. You know, these people were rejected people. They They were alone in life. 
But the Bible says in Psalm 68, God is the father to the fatherless. And once I got hold of that, once and if once you get hold of that, your life will never be the same. Because while you was in the mother's womb, there was a father in heaven looking down on you with a plan and a purpose for you. And he loves you. And all the love that you're looking for, the attention that you're seeking from an earthly father figure, you get all that from God. He loves you. He's watching you every day of your life. The hairs on your head are counted by him. It's hard to understand when you're a lonely person, but once you get saved, you understand this, that you know what, my father loves me, and it brings a security, it brings a strength, and it brings a stability to your life. Once you realise that that God was always watching you, 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 stop, you stop seeking attention from others. You start to realise, yeah, my father loves me, man, and that's it. it the issue is resolved, amen? That is so powerful because um, one of the things that, one of the hardest things that God tried to help me with while I was uh, in prison was the the view of God being a father to me. Mm. I mm. grew up and it was just, it was, it was a horrifying situation. So trying to understand the word of God when he was saying that he was my father, I, I, I couldn't grasp. Yeah, yeah. Under under any circumstance, what that meant to the to the point where every time that I would sin and fall short, when I would ask God for forgiveness, it was always in tears on the floor because I was I in my mind I'm like God is so pissed at me, man, mm. and I know He's ready to strike me down for what I did because that's the way I was treated, mm. but that's not the case. I didn't understand. Um, how great God's love was for me because yeah. I did not understand what the Father was. God's not waiting to strike you down every time you fall short of the glory, That's man. Right. You know what I mean? If, if there's people out there like Pastor Toppin was saying, you know, that, that you know God being your Father, and you feel like God is ready to strike you down every time you do something wrong, don't listen to that lie. Mm. Look, if you get up and you repent from your sin and you tell God, you know what, forgive me, the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive you. And that's just what it is, that he is faithful and he is just, and he loves you like a father. It took me years to get that, Pastor. Years, man. And uh, even now, I'm still coming to, to, I'm still getting it in measures. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm still, from Pastor Rosario especially, man, extreme blessing. We don't communicate as much as I would like to, you know what I mean? But when we do, it's always yeah. meaningful. You know what I'm saying? And uh, he's he's such a extraordinary individual, man. I've never met anyone like Pastor Rosario. Uh, a standard, you know what I mean, that he carries himself in is is such an amazing thing. And I'm blessed to be around a man like that. But like I said, man, I'm 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 bare, I'm still grasping this thing. Well, he's producing men like himself because if you think about M M Pastor Mario, you know, when I first met him, he was one way, but now he's he's more like Pastor Rosario, yeah. man. He's just like the same dude, you yeah. know, yeah. same spirit. Mm -hmm. Because these men have, 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 have encountered God in a way that God has changed them on the inside. Right. And that's what's happening with all of us. Right. We're being changed. Mm -hmm. The Bible says that we grow from glory to glory, right. just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, it's like, it's like God's doing something so deep that sometimes we can't even see it. Right. But other people do. They go, man, you changed. Yeah, man. What happened to Ernie Toppin, man? He left SE7, man. He he was on TV. I saw him on it, you know, because I was on MTV and I was on doing all this stuff. But but when God got a hold of my heart, 
everything began to change. I began to, like you said, conduct myself different. You know, my, my girlfriend noticed and she was like, she felt safer with me. You know, she's like, man, you, you're really stable. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you know, because God, he works a work on the inside of a person, but it shows outwardly after a while, you know. I mean, we still look at, each, at ourselves and we still think that when, you know, I must do harder, I must do better. But the truth is, God's doing the work. He just wants us to relax and let him do the work, you know? That's true. That's true. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God is faithful. He won't, he won't. If you, if you let go and go back to whatever it is that you're doing, God didn't let you go. You know what I'm saying? God is always there. Um, it's it's a choice, man. I didn't realize how much I misunderstood. Man, you got to maintain your salvation. Perhaps maybe the, I need to say this, man. Mm-hmm. Look, salvation is a relationship with God, man. Look, if if you don't maintain communication between you and your wife, I guarantee you, man, is your marriage is going to fall apart quickly. Lyrics. It's going to deteriorate and rot from the inside out. You have to have that communication and that love and that and that and that appreciation of one another. Otherwise, it's the same thing with God, man. It's the same thing with God. Man, if, if you you got to talk to God, man. You know what I'm saying? Go go pray and talk to the Lord, man, cuz he's he already knows everything about you, yeah, right? But he wants you to know more about him. And he is so ready to drop off some things to you, man, to make you better. But it's us, man. You know what I mean? It's us that kind of pull away. I don't know if you guys noticed, but look around. It is getting way, way worse in the world. And uh, I've been wanting to drop this for a long time, but I'm, now that we're here with Pastor Ernie Toppin, I'm just going to be straight up forward with you, man. This world is going to hell in a handbasket very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's the church, the people of God that have the light, that are willing to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in this day and this time at this hour. We are the end time generation. We are that end time army. Yeah. And if we don't proclaim the truth, they won't get it nowhere yeah. else. Right. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And it's going to get worse. So I imagine that if somebody's listening to this and you've been kind of on the fence, Christian, perhaps it's time for you to jump the fence, get off the fence and start joining your pastor and start getting to work because the days are evil and we're almost there. Like a thief in the night, the Bible says, right? Yeah, that's right. And I saw uh, a sign on the way here and it said the king is near. Wow. But it was a Burger King sign, man. (laughs) Did it make you hungry? I was like, like, man, that's a brilliant thing for a... For a thing, but then they put Burger King on it, man. I was like, what are you guys doing? But, um, yeah, the king is near, man. We, we are now uh, a, a generation of, of uh, dysfunctional people. Because what, what happened uh, in the 1960s, which is when my parents w- had me, right, the, that generation was very selfish, and they didn't really think about raising kids and they were too busy smoking weed, <laughs> too busy drinking and just too busy having fun. Taking acid. Yeah. Taking acid. You know, my dad, I don't know if he took acid, but he, he smoked a bag of weed, you know what I mean? My mum was against weed. But, you know, that generation was stoned out of their heads, man. And so they had these kids and they didn't know what to do with them. 
And it wasn't, I, th- I suppose, it, it was the fact that they themselves were slightly dysfunctional. <laughs> and then they, bec- they had children who was completely dysfunctional. And then so my generation has had children and they are now around about 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And those kids now are completely messed up. Yeah. Jacked up people. Like they're just reactionary, broken hearted, hurting. And hurting people hurt people. Yes, that's true. You know, so now you've got a generation of people who are hurting, so they're hurting each other. So basically, they're, they're just, as they say in London, they're wilding out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone's wilding out, you know. It's a crazy scene right now in London. You've got, you got kids having kids. Oh, man, it's, it's just mad. But the, 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 the truth is, though, like you said, Jesus is coming. And that's why things are going to get wilder and wilder. And the only hope is that the, the world would listen to the gospel. Now I've got a theory. I've got a theory about this, right? I think what's going to happen is the rapture is going to come very soon, mm-hmm. right? Within a year, maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe a couple of years. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? Just nod or... I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's coming, right? Yes. You know, the Bible talks about um, certain things which led to God bringing judgment. Number one was Noah's time. The Bible says they were just completely disgusting the Bible talks about the uh, the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, and at that time it was completely perverse. And so now the, the generation we're in right now is completely perverse, upside down, moral judgments. And so God, you know, is not going to delay for much longer. Do you know what I mean? He's going to bring it down. But I got this theory that as the rapture happens, some of the people in the world are going to say it was UFOs. They're going to explain it somehow, right? But the rest of the people are going to go. Oh no, that was the rapture. And those people are going to become Christians. Yes. And they're going to fill the big buildings that we're building. Because <laughs> you know we're building buildings yes. all over our fellowship. Yes. If you notice that there's huge buildings being built, like McAllen, Prescott, Tucson, here in Killeen. They're building a new building in the Killeen Church because it's going to accommodate the massive influx of people that are going to get saved after the rapture. That's what I believe. I don't think... Uh, I think we're going to see some revival. Yes, yeah. But I think the most of it is going to happen after we're gone. You know what? I, I would I, I would have to say I agree. Uh, just well, when was it? Was it you, Sammy, that, that sat in here for the UFO? Uh, we actually talked about UFOs here uh, a few segments mm-hmm. back, and I kind of just uh, settled the argument about what UFOs really are, going to the book of Ezekiel, right? Yeah. So in the book of Ezekiel, it's either one or two things, angels or demons, one of the I two, don't. right? So nonetheless, we talked about that. We nailed it out. You know, we settled it. <laughs> we settled it out. My man, man reads the Bible. Yeah, see, you got to read the Bible. You got to get it. It's all the you answers get it, there. Man. It's all there. All the, the UFOs are, there. are in Ezekiel. All the answers are there. You want to know about UFOs? Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah. that's where that's where you that's should where get all are. your knowledge from. That's where yeah. you should get your information from. Talks about lights and circles. Yeah, Circle. All the stuff that they film in the 1950s and that—it's all in Ezekiel. Wheel, wheels on. inside of wheels. wheels inside of wheels. Uh, how they turn, all that stuff. They're it's fast. All, they move incredibly yeah, fast. Yeah. The creatures yeah, inside the wheels. Hey. Those are not aliens inside those wheels. I'm gonna tell you right now. So anyway, so I mean, we we covered that for that reason because there's a coming deception, right? The, the Bible right. says there's gonna be a great falling away. Yes. The deception's gonna come through, and all these things, Hollywood, they played a big part. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who's ever studied out Hollywood, go look at what Hollywood really means. It's literally a stick that witches would take from a specific tree, and they would cast spells with this stick. 
but they got it from Hollywood. But I'm not even going to go there. So they were already uh, they were already moving this 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 uh, mass deception in, into place. So getting from that, I and I'm going to say this openly because I've been waiting for the right time to say this. So I'm going to go ahead and just say it now. I'm not saying that the rapture is going to happen in six months, but I'm telling everyone, watch this next six months. Starting from today on out, six months, and watch the events that begin to take place in the political realm, on the streets, everywhere. Watch. There's going to be some things that where every people are going to be like, what's going on? What, what in the world's happening? So look, I personally believe that we don't have more than three years left. I just think that. I yeah, just have, yeah. to, I have to say that. I would agree with that, actually. Because it's getting really, really bad. Yeah. I really don't think that we have a lot of time. A lot of time. So in, in the midst of all this, well, you know, we got men. Uh, I have Ed and Jordan in the back. You know, they, these guys, they've been a blessing. So we've been stepping our game up with a bunch of stuff, man. We've been, uh, uh, we've been just doing things for God behind the scenes because we believe that there's an urgency. There's things that need to start taking place. We, this is not a time to rest. Mm. Six months, people. Check it out, man. Mm. Watch what happens, man. Things are going to be uh, crazy. And people well, you know, are, you know, this year is the, the year of Jubilee, right? No, I did not know. Yeah, that. the Jewish year of so. Let me just yes, throw please. this at you. So, um, every time something major happens in the Bible, it is on a feast day. Oh wow! Right, which is freaks you out when you start thinking about it. So, okay. Jesus Christ was crucified on the Passover. Yes, right. Yeah, he's the yeah. Passover lamb. Passover lamb. The day of Pentecost happened on yes. the day yeah. of Pentecost. That right. So. Certain stuff, you know, uh, it's almost a, an, a inevitable yes. that when a major event happens on earth, it's going to be lined up with a Jewish festival. Yes. Um, the Yom Kippur War of 1973. I don't know if you know about all this, uh, these events. The Six Day War, that was in a year of Jubilee. You know, th this stuff's too, uh, it's too, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it's too thing to, <laughs> for it not to be thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know if you got that, but yes. you know. And so th this year is the feast, uh, is also the feast of the feast of trumpets takes place in September. So one Jewish commentator was saying that because it's the year of jubilee, he's a Jewish mess messianic Jewish commentator. I can't remember his name, but he's putting forward the theory that because it's the year of jubilee and the feast of trumpets occurs in September, then maybe the trumpets can blow. Oh. In September, Maybe. I mean, you know, no I mean, one knows the day or no, the hour, right? But, you know, but Jesus did say, when you see the signs, signs, you're gonna know that it's coming. Yes, yeah. And He did say, let the wise understand on certain things. And so, Come you know, on. hey man, who knows? All I know is, like you said, like my brother said, we gotta be urgent. We can't be sitting on our hands, man. This is it, man. I'm watching. So I had a dream a long time ago in prison. Okay, and I'm going to say this out loud. I've never, I don't think that I've ever said this on the podcast. This might be the first time ever. So I had a dream while I was in prison. I'm, I'm, the Lord has graced me with the prophetic, all right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just haven't had, I just ain't been stepping in it in, in some years because I took the back seat because I had to learn how to do church out here because I only knew prison church. And you go into this kind of church with prison church, there will be no church because we're pretty straightforward. So anywho. So I took the back seat, you know what I'm saying? Because uh, even encouraging words seemed kind of sharp. But nonetheless, I had a dream. And in this dream, I was out of prison. But I looked into the sky, 
and all the planets were lined up. I could physically see them in the daytime. They were all lined up. Saturn, Mercury, all this. But I distinctly remember seeing Saturn in the lineup there. And then I was like, well, this is weird, man. Hmm. And I look around. There's people all around, like, freaking out. Like, what is that? Then I look back up, and there's five moons in the sky. And I'm like, okay, man, this is getting really weird now. So I'm looking at So if, it, if anybody's ever seen a dice, it looked like that. Five dots, but there was five moons like a dice. So I was like. Man, I got to preach the gospel. In the in the dream, I'm like, I got to preach the gospel. There's a lot of people around me right now. I'm going to get these dudes, and I'm going to get them saved. Mm. So as soon as I go to preach, I wake up. So I've always wondered what that dream meant. I interpret it as when this takes place, this is going to be the beginning of something very big happening in the, in the world. Uh, in June 23rd in 2022, all the planets lined up. My wife told me, she's like, you know that the planets lined up? I'm like, what did you say? Yeah, so I looked at it, and I looked it up, and sure enough, all the planets lined up on June 23rd of 2022. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and Uranus. All of them lined up. And mm. I was like, whoa, okay, cool. So the number five is an odd number, right? It's an odd number. You talk about some strange times and some odd things going to happen. Look, these next six months are going to be insane. So I had this dream and all this stuff, and I'm out of prison. I'm not in prison. I'm out here, right? This is my seventh year out, the number of completion. Now, I'm not going to get all mysticism mm. on folk because I know people can go crazy with this stuff. I'm not a, I'm not a mysticist. I don't, I don't like that. You know what I mean? But I do pay attention to signs, and I, with a sober mind, I try to interpret what God is trying to give me with a sound mind, because a lot of people go crazy with this stuff. Mm. So I believe now that these after these planets lined up, right? And now I'm out here in the free world. I'm seven years out. The number of completion. This just took place. What is God trying to tell me? I believe that he's trying to tell me to tell everyone else to get ready because he's about to return. He is about to come in. The Bible says like a thief in the night. Man, y'all been saying that for years and years and years and years. Okay, well, here it is. I believe that this is it. I, I believe that people need to prepare for the coming of Christ, in particular the church, uh, uh, kind of preparing themselves. Yes, preach the gospel, man, but if you're not in right standing with God, the Bible says, man, that you can appear before God and he can say, you know what, depart from me because I never even knew you, man. Yeah. Just because you go to church and you lift your hands yeah, up to yeah. the Lord, That's you know right. what I'm saying, doesn't That's mean right. that you're saved, man. You have to know within your heart. Are you sinning on a daily basis and you know you're covering it up and you know that you're doing wrong? Man, you need to repent and get it right before it's too late. That includes me. That includes everyone. That includes me. Yes. I don't care how famous you are in our fellowship or that, what profile you got. you got to be humble. Pastor Rosario, again, great example of this. Yes. The man is humble. The man is just humble. So listen, just to go with what you just said. So um, the Bible talks in, in Revelations 12 about a great sign in the heavens, right? Mm -hmm. It says, I'll just read it. It says, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, uh, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. She, then being in, with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Uh, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. 
and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, all of this sounds very eclectic right, and very kind of weird, but what it really is or what it was, or what, what happened is this. Um, on September 23rd, 2017, the planets lined up exactly as that scripture says. Oh. The woman was clothed with the sun. I mean, it's hard for me to explain without showing you graphics. Right. But this happened. The, um, the, Venus gave birth to oh. Jupiter. Yeah, you I heard about yes, this? Yes, 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 yes. Right. Yeah. So people saw this, entered astronomers. Into the womb, right? it yeah. entered into the womb, right? It entered the womb that. and it exited the same day. Yes. Right? Yeah. So people, astronomers noticed this, but people on the Earth didn't notice it. But what also happened that year was the Great American Eclipse, where most of America had a total eclipse. And so when you put these two signs together, right, what you've got is this. You've got America in complete darkness, and you've got the great sign in the heavens, which some scholars believe speaks about the beginning of sorrows has begun, right? Mm -hmm. Which is wars, rumours of wars, earthquakes, famines. That's where we are right now. Make no mistake, yeah, that's yeah. where we are, right? Dead centred, yes, right. sir. Mm -hmm. So there we, therefore, America being in darkness, well, what does that mean? That means America, as a world power, is going into darkness. But why? Well, here's the reason. If you're listening, listen to me. I believe that I'm speaking the truth. America, the reason why America is going to go into darkness in the last days is because there are so many born-again Christians in America mm. that you cannot function in a military where half the people have been raptured. You can't function in, a, in an infrastructure of a country where many doctors, nurses, people who run the country are Christians and they've been raptured. Come on, come the country's going to collapse. Yes. And it's not because judgment. It's because God's going to take so many Americans out of this world. American Airlines, Southwest Airlines, they all understand you cannot have two born-again Christian pilots in the pulpit. Right. You can read it. It's in their constitution. Yes. They can't have because they know that if the rapture happens, that plane's going down. Are you serious? That's serious, man. They have that in they, there. They have that in their, in their thing. Whoa. You cannot have two. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because, know that. So America is a Christian. As bad as some people say America is, it's a Christian country. Yeah. Yeah. The constitution of America was framed on the Bible. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, if you've got a country that's got like, I don't know, 350 million people in it, and I don't know how many people, but there's millions in this country who say they are Christians, and God is merciful. Even if you're hanging on by your teeth being yes. a Christian, I believe he's still going to yeah. Yeah. have mercy on you. They, they got something called, uh, I just heard about it not too long, but it's, it's, it's a grace... That, that Satan hates, yeah. you know, Satan hates grace. Cause I, I believe that, you know, we can read about it and know it, understand it somewhat in portions, but I don't think we quite know how exactly deep it is. Yeah. until the rapture comes. Yeah, and they're like, they say some people are going to see in heaven. You're going to be like, what are you doing here? You bro? made it oh. because God's so merciful. Now that does not encourage people to go out and live sinfully. Right. Right. But the grace of God is incredible. So what's going to happen? I believe the Great American Eclipse, right? America's in darkness. America's half of America got raptured, right? Uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, many people in Britain as well, because that's yeah. a very Christian country still. Right. So then you got the beginning of sorrows, where the woman gives birth, and all of this leads to the 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 woman hiding in the wilderness, which lines up with Jacob's day of trouble. Now this is all getting a bit deep, but what the Bible talks about is that. Israel is once the rapture happens, mm -hmm. the Israelites, the real Jews in Jerusalem, in Israel, they're going to see that you know what that was really Christ. Yeah. 
who took his church. Yeah. And revelation is going to come upon them. Mm-hmm. And this is when, okay, here we go. I'm going to get deep. So let's do it. The war of Ezekiel 38. Okay. In the Bible, there's a war described right, where uh, Russia, which is described as Gog and Magog in, in Ezekiel 38, marches on Israel. And it, it mentions a conspiracy of nations that mm-hmm. joins with Russia. And they are the same conspiracy that is existing today. today the yeah. Syrians. You know, these people, they're going to join with the Russians. They're going to go down into Israel. They're going to attack Israel. And the Bible talks about some kind of nuclear. Have you ever read that? Yeah, it's like yeah. some nuclear thing comes yeah. against the Russians yep. Yep. and blows them off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible says that um, this is going to happen in this end time scenario, but it doesn't say whether it's before or after the rapture. Right, right. So in the world right now, you have Russia who has lots of oil mm-hmm. that, and gas, and they are, they are threatening to cut off the gas from Europe. Right. It's driving gas prices up right now. Yeah. At the same time, guess who just found a massive gas reserve? Who's that? Israel. Wow. The Leviathan gas field was discovered a few years ago, off the coast of Israel. Israel's claimed it. They have access to it. They're going to begin piping it. And so what's going to happen? Russia, who has a stranglehold on European economy through the gas supplies, is going to be challenged because immediately, as soon as Israel found the gas, Great Britain, Germany, they made a deal. When you get that gas pumping, you pump it to us. Right. And then we won't have to rely on the Russians. That is right. going to be a big problem. Which is going to be a big problem for the Russians, right? Because yeah. then the Russians are going to say, control. we want control again. So they're going to, this is just theory, by the way. I'm just Ernie Topping from London. Right. But this is what I believe is going to happen. The Russians are going to march on Israel to destroy Israel so that they can, or actually not just the Russians, but the Syrians who are developing a nuclear capability right now. You can read it on the news. <clears throat> yeah. It's not common. I'm not, it's not, so it's deep, deep secret revelation. It's not. It's not secret. These guys are developing uranium. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to develop five atomic weapons right now, but the Israelis won't let them. And they have cyber technology, and they're really, you know, they're the most advanced country in the world, right? Technologically, besides the United States, right? They're bad so to the bomb. they're bad, right? Mm-hmm. The United States and Israel are way ahead of everyone else, so they're not going to let them develop this. And so eventually, the Russians are going to march on Israel to take control of Israel and in the book of Ezekiel 38 it says uh, the sons of uh, it's a very difficult to interpret scripture but it says there's a diplomatic outcry from certain European countries um, Sheba, Dedan and the young lions thereof are going to say to those Russians why are you doing this and they're going to argue with the Russians but they're not going <coughs> to interfere with the Russians because it's the destiny of Russia to do this yeah but you can see it unfolding right now. That was a little bit convoluted. Hopefully you understood what I'm trying to say there. Have you, have you seen the message that Pastor um, Greg Mitchell preached on the fall of the bear? Is that what it's called? Yeah. The fall of the bear. But yeah. he talks about this conflict that you're ta- that you're describing right now, how yeah, Russia is yeah. going to uh, unify with these other countries, Syria being one, mm-hmm. and how they're going to f- uh, launch an attack against Israel. Yes. Right? And uh, so he gives, he, he, he underlines all the reasons and the possibilities why they're going to be doing this, but God is going to show up, yeah, right, and uh, uh, do what he's always done, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. game over, you know what I mean? But it, everything that you're saying is 
I've been wanting to drop a whole bunch of stuff, right? <clears throat> but I'm always very careful because, you know, there's there's people, uh, the audiences, sometimes they they go to the little bit of a, an extreme measure. They take <laughs> yeah. things and, and they'll oh, go, no, they'll go all crazy. <clears throat> but yeah, it's true. What better opportunity with it you know, than now? I, I really think that this is much needed information that needs to be spoken of. Yeah. And I'm glad that we're actually doing it now. Hmm. I know that there's a reason why we're here. You know, it started off this way, but I know eventually God wanted to take it to where he wants it to go. This is a message of, 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 of warning um, about what, where we're at right now as a nation, where we're at uh, in, in the world. Where the church is at right now, yeah, it's. I mean, that's right. everything is everything. I'm telling you, man, everything's it's, lining up. It's we are that end time army, man. Yeah, I never. We were born to exist in such a time as this, mm. and I would say certain things have happened in our lives to prepare us for such times. It's like yourself, mm-hmm. as you're speaking to me and you're telling me all your training, the way that God has trained you. Yes, yes, He's taught you a lot, man. Yes. In prison, I can remember, and I didn't quite, I didn't, I never saw it then. I was just radical, man. I didn't care, you know. Got out of the prison gang and started serving Jesus in prison. Wow. You get out of the prison gang in prison to serve Jesus, a lot of them young cats that are trying to come up and make a name for themselves are like, man, you hiding behind that Bible, bro. You know what I'm saying? We got something for you. Go to the rec yard. We're going to talk to you. You know what I mean? So you're being surrounded literally by 15, 20 dudes in the middle of a rec yard in prison, and you you know, and I'm like, bro, hold you, you can smash me. Yeah. Smash me out. It isn't going to change anything. If you kill me, you early dismissal. I'm going home. Or when I get healed up, I'm going to come back out and I'm going to preach the gospel again. It's not going to stop. You can't stop it because I'm not stopping. Jesus saved me. He died for me, so I'm going to die for him, period. So many times, man, my life was threatened. I've seen Christians die in prison because they got out of the prison gang and they didn't like that, so they killed them for it. I know martyrs, you know what I mean? I've, this is the type of atmosphere that I grew up in. So when I get out and I hear, man, I got persecuted at work, I'm like, what you mean? Well, this brother, he he, he was <laughs> talking about Jesus, and he just started mistreating me. And I'm like, <laughs> looking at this dude like, bro. He was not very nice to me. He was so trivial. He was so rude. Oh, he was just treating me so bad. I'm like, bro. And this was getting me in trouble early on. I asked Pastor, like, I was like, man, stop being, stop that, man. You don't know what tribulation is. You don't know what it is to be persecuted. You know what I'm saying? You just, you're going through it at work. Hey, can I ask you a question? Do you realize, do you think that as someone who's come from very low to get saved, and that there is a greater appreciation mm-hmm. for salvation mm-hmm. than from someone who's not really come from, because I came from complete darkness. South yes. London was completely it was a hustle or get trodden on. Yeah. Well, the Bible says I, it. I was in children's homes. I got kicked out of a children's home for beating someone up once. You know. Well, the Bible says I was, it. I was horrible, to be honest. I was, <laughs> I was a horrible little... Uh, you know, I'm not going to glorify myself. I was a horrible little person. Right. Angry, hurting, hateful. What are you looking at? You know, that kind of guy. So, you know, I came from darkness. And when I got saved, it was like, oh. It's like, wow, man, this is salvation? Yeah, yeah. I want this for everyone. Yes. Yes. I'm going to give my whole life to promote this to every single person I will meet. You know, and it was like a real drive. So when you come from that, 
do you not think that there is a there is a there is a real grasp of what's going on and an appreciation? But if you haven't come from that, do you think there's a kind of complacency? Yes, the Bible is clear. <clears throat> he that is forgiven much loves much. So do you know you got these cats that are like dirty dogs, dogs. Just it is. I'm talking, brother. Mm. I was, I was, yeah. I was a very depraved, demonic person, bro. Like for real. Like my mind was demented. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when God saved me and He forgave me and I and He saved me from dying in prison many, many times after salvation, I'm like, this is a God worth dying for. You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, who yeah. would forgive me, the nastiest dude yeah. <clears throat> ever? I'm like, no, 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 no. So I go to prison. They tell me, you know what? You're going to stop preaching the gospel because all my homeboys are getting saved and we're losing our numbers here. Kill me now because I'm not stopping, bro. Uh, more homeboys of yours are coming to Jesus, bro, because I'm not going to stop. I'm not stopping. So, and I mean, coming close to death many times. But was I scared? Yeah, I wasn't like, kill me now. Yeah. When I come out my cell and I'm like, okay, they're going to kill me today. I got to get ready. I'm like, man, God, please help me. Then they start beating each other up. Oh, wow. That's exactly the strategy. Man, you can't that, tell me. That's God the strategy that God uses against the enemies of Israel yes. throughout the Old Testament. I've seen it twice in prison, Pastor. Wow. When these dudes said that, look, what, this time tomorrow when you come out, we're going to kill you, dude. You get to get your stuff and go to that door and tell the guards you don't no longer want to be here. Because if you're here tomorrow, we're going to kill you. And, I'm, and it's all over preaching the gospel because people were getting saved. So I'm like, I go to my cell and I'm like, God, what do you want me to do, man? I'm not running. You know, I am scared because I don't want to die in prison. But when it comes down to it, I will die for you. You know, I, 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 I don't want to die, but I will. It is what it is. But I need you to help me. Wow. So... Push Whoa. comes to shove, bro. Before I even make it out the door, they're beating each other up. These are these are the same gang. They're beating each other up, they're like, and they're fighting over coffee. One Whoa. one one dude was fighting over coffee. He blamed his homeboy for his his coffee getting stolen, and they start beating each other up. They they're shooting gas in there. They're taking people out of there. It's happened twice, and I've actually seen the hand of God move this way many times. And I'm like, wow, man, God is real. And when you actually read it in the Bible and you actually see it for yourself, you're like, man, that does something to you. Do you like, know, this, I know God this, is this, real. This, you're talking Second Chronicles 20, man, right now. That's Second, what you're talking about. They came against Jehoshaphat. I'm just going to paraphrase. Yes. These, these, these nations, Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, came against Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, to kill him, to murder his, fam to murder his people. The Bible says they, that Jehoshaphat seeks God he, he proclaims a fast throughout all of Judah, and he says, God, we don't know what to do, <laughs> but our eyes are on you, right? The next day, the men of Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir kill each other. Come on, man. Jeez. Come on, man. Drop the mic. Uh-huh. Bro, when I'm seeing Jeez, this, man. like, you have no idea. I'm watching these dudes beat each other up in the day room. And that, that morning, I'm coming out to die. They're beating each other up. And I'm in my cell looking out, and I got my hands up, and I'm, I'm bawling. I'm crying, man, because I know this is God, man. I know it without... So I'm lifting up my hands, and I'm glorifying God. I'm thanking God like, man, there was fixing to be a riot, just another testimony. They're, the, the, the blacks and the Mexicans are fixing to get it. And I, I don't know, the last time I checked, my skin was brown, and I'm in the middle of the day room, 
And if they start popping off, it don't matter whether I'm a Christian or not. They're going to come get me. The black folk going to look at me. Well, there's a Mexican right there. Kill him. So I'm in the middle of the day room. Smack that in the middle. There's a metal table. I'm sitting in there reading my Bible. Can I just ask a question? How comes the blacks and Mexicans are so opposed in jail? In jail in England, Mm -hmm. the blacks and the Mexicans will be on the same side. (laughs) <laughs> well, I imagine it would be completely on the same side, and that's against that's, the whites, and that's I'm weird. Over here, it's different. Over here, I was raised to be racist, mm. and and when I went to prison, uh, it was in my file. You couldn't be a black person in my cell because we're gonna fight immediately, wow. and that's all there was to it. But when I got saved, I'm like, brother, come on, come here. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so strange because in England, yeah. a Mexican will be like. Yeah, he's he's not white, you know. Keep him around, you know what I mean? He's one of he's not he's not one of them. Right. So, right. you know, you can you're cool. He's not the oppressor. Yeah. Yeah. The white man. Yeah. yeah. The white man held us down. For so many years we got to rot. You know, that's sorry. That's, oh, that's fine. Do you realize that now the white man is the problem of the whole world? Do you realize that? Right now, as we speak. White men? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know the woke brigade yeah. they're saying man white people is, if it wasn't for stupid white men yeah yeah and they're white themselves yeah. they're saying this we actually, I don't get it we, we spoke against woke here on the on the podcast we broke it down biblically and let them know how foolish they were or whatever so YouTube went ahead and gave me that email saying hey you can't talk like this you can't say this stop talking like this well you know we don't stop so we keep going but uh, yeah, yeah man I mean right now that's that's what's going on you yeah. know so so anyway, we're in the middle of the day room, and they're fixing to start going off. So I tell the brothers, I got three young brothers in Christ. They just, they're fresh babes in Christ, man. <laughs> and uh, and I'm like, man, some, uh, the devil's fixing to come in here and flip this whole wing upside down. Mm. So, I, man, I was like, let's pray. Because they were already lacing up. They're already taking out the they're, – they're ready. I'm looking. I'm like, man, it's fixing to get real fast. So I'm like, God, man, we start praying, God, God. And then they start they start coming. It's fix it go in, and we hear like this large this banging, like somebody banged on that metal that metal uh, table, but hard, so hard it sent shock waves through the through the dorm. Pow! Everybody just stopped what they were doing. Everybody was like, "What in the world was that?" They never heard anything. Like, We've never heard anything like that. It was so loud it shook your insides. It was like, you know what I mean? I was like, "What in the world was that?" The guards went in there. Oh, hey, what's going on in here? Whatever. Everybody rack it up. They put everybody in their cells. Everybody calmed down, chilled out. The next day they came out, they started drinking coffee. One another. I'm like, what? what is going on around here? Like, So I started testifying to, to, the, to one of the gang leaders. I'm like, man, you know that was God stopping y'all from destroying one another, man? He was like, man, that was weird, bro. Every, even the homeboys are talking about it. Like we had never experienced anything like that. It was strange. I'm like, yeah, that's God, bro. So anyway, man, so we experienced God like this. So, yeah, anybody who's forgiven much loves much yeah. because we came from the bottom of the bottom, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, when I, when we're serving God, especially in this day and age, it's scary to know that the end is coming, right? Yeah. But hey, I, but I want, before we – I really need to ask you this yes. and put this out there. What would you say to church kids who've been raised in church and they're curious about the world and they, and they want to – you know, basically, they want to backslide – but they don't really want to backslide, but they right. just want to find out what's out there. Right. What would you say to them? Don't do it, man. Because I'll tell you what, it, it, to step into something like this, like the world, man, you want to listen to the music, you want to wear the clothes, you want to drink, you want to smoke. When you're done doing it, you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to be the same dude 
or the same girl that you were when you did it. It doesn't change you. It doesn't do anything for you, but make you worse. It looks good, but I'm telling you, I did it for years. But when I got Christ, you have the advantage. Don't ever let anybody tell you because yeah. you're a church kid That's that right. you haven't experienced anything. You've experienced it all you, if you, you got you, Christ. You've experienced because it all, if yeah. I would have met Christ growing up as a, I would have never went to prison. I would have never got hurt. I would have never got done any of the things that I've done, and I probably would have been a very, very successful person. I blew my whole life away for the very thing that you want to taste and let me tell you man it destroyed my life trust me it's not worth it word Mm -hmm. but i want to add this to that right so when i got saved there was a bunch of us we were completely dysfunctional there's me jimmy robinson steve gabriel we was messed up right we all came in church and we all kind of looked around and saw each other and we realized man he's from he's from nw10 this guy's from E8. You know, these, these are different areas. And these guys are now in this church together. And we've realized, man, we're all from the streets. And you know who the most captivating person in the church was? Ooh. The one we all really loved. The one we looked at and said, man, we wish we was like that. It was a church kid, man. <laughs> it was a church kid called Debbie. She was so beautiful. Right. When Debbie spoke, it was like music's playing. Yeah. Debbie's so beautiful, she's never been out in the world. Yeah. And then we had this desire to protect her. We, yeah. oh, she was so lovely. <laughs> she spoke so well. It was like, man, she's yeah. from a nice background. Yeah. And then we would say to her, don't you ever let me catch you backslide. Come on. Because there ain't nothing out there. Yeah. And she'd be like, yeah, okay. But she was the one we loved. And church kids don't have a, a clue of their appeal. Yes, yeah, man. They are so appealing, especially to someone who's been really down low with some ignorant people, violence. (laughs) You know, all you know about is, shut up, move move out of the way, man. I've bossed you in your head. That's all you've ever seen. And then you come in church, you see these beautiful church kids with the blessing of God dripping off of them. And they're they're wanting to go back out. Come here. Bam. You know, don't ever think of it. Yes, yes. And you know what's a beautiful picture of this? Um, uh, Pastor Rosario, I, I talked to uh, Venicia, and I'm not going to throw her out there or whatever the case, but, you know, her story is so beautiful. Mm. Really. Yeah, yeah. Her story is beautiful, man. Yeah. Because, man, when she came back, brother, man, I, I noticed. He's got some wonderful daughters, you know. Man, dude, They're so I, beautiful, aren't they? They're so nice, you well-behaved. You can't. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, yeah, yeah, man. Beautiful, man. You, that's what the world wants to see. They need what church kids, man. Y'all got it all. If you got God, if you've never experienced the street, you never no, experienced drugs, no bro, you got it, man. You're the one that has the swag. You're the one that everybody needs to look up to. Walk in that. Be proud of it, man. Because I'm a Christian now and I did all that stuff. But That's I'm right. telling you right now, I'm proud to be walking yeah. without a joint in my mouth. I'm proud to be walking without yeah. all this stuff, right? Because I know that God saved me from these things, right? So look, listen. God is with you. Keep him. Because the world right now, there are drug addicts on the street right now that desire to have your peace. That's right. Play the cheers. If you've got cheers, play the cheers now. Yeah! Woo! Word! And that was the word of God. So look, awesome, man, 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 we really got in there, man. Look, it's already twelve thirteen. That's Holy Ghost. So look, listen, guys, man. So, Pastor, I do this at the end of every one. Sadly, I'm sorry, guys, but we do. But listen, um, I give every guest an opportunity. 
if you were to have anything to say, something that you feel should be the most important thing said in this day to a large group of people, what would you say? If God gave you an opportunity, go say something to these people. What would you say? I would say to them, unless you live your life with an eternal perspective, you will waste your life. Because this life is just a waiting room. One time I was uh, in a dental surgery and uh, I was in the waiting room and God said something to me. He said, I want you to always remember this while I'm about to tell you, son. He said, this is a waiting room of a dental surgery. You didn't come here to sit in a waiting room. You came here to go into the surgery. Your life has all the significance of a waiting room. Eternity is forever. But the problem with your life is, is that the waiting room prepares you for which section of eternity you go into. So if you waste your life in this room, you're going to end up in hell forever. And so you need an eternal perspective. Whoever's listening to me, the Bible says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because we're only here for a very short time on this earth, but we're going to be in eternity forever. We're either going to be in heaven forever or hell forever. And once you're in one of those places, you cannot cross over to the other side, the Bible says. And so I would say to you, if you're listening to me, please do not waste your life preparing it not for eternity. You must prepare for heaven. And the only way to be ready for heaven is to repent of your sin and ask Jesus Christ to come in your heart and forgive you of your sin. And the only way to do that is to is to say a simple prayer. This is the prayer. All you need to do is just say this. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I am a sinner, but I repent. And I'm asking you to, to come in my heart and change my life from the inside. I give my life to you and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. That's all you've got to say. Or words to that effect. You come to God on his terms. You say, Lord, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. And if you don't think you've sinned, think back to the first time you ever told a lie. Think back to the first time you ever stole. With me, it was the great chocolate bar robbery of 1968 when I was about four years old and we robbed a shop. We stole chocolate bars. Listen, we're all thieves. We're all liars, man. We can't help ourselves, man. The only, the only one that can help us to stop being that way is if we give our lives to Jesus. Oh, well, I'm not a thief. I've never stolen anything in my life. Well, yes, you have. Don't lie. You're lying right now. That's it. We need to repent, man. Mm-hmm. We're, we're sinners. We need a saviour. That's why Jesus came. And so that's what I would say to you, you know, just amen. And don't ever go, don't ever backslide if you're saved because there's nothing out there. Nothing. Hallelujah. Nothing. Without further ado, God bless you. We love you guys. We pray that this uh, podcast was a blessing to you. Pastor Ernie Toppin, thank you for coming in, man, and sharing with us pieces of your life, your wisdom, um, your insight. We greatly appreciate what you're doing for the kingdom, and we're just here to encourage that you could do the same thing. Amen. For the kingdom of God, just like Pastor Ernie Toppin does for the kingdom. Find your place. God has grace. And win the human race. In Jesus' name, man, we love you. Keep your head up. Stay standing. All right.